0: So this morning, I'm gonna throw out some analogies for you guys, and one of the things I wanna use this morning is football, okay? I want you guys to picture a football team all huddled around their coach. Guess who the coach is gonna be? That's right. So, around the coach before kickoff, a great cheer goes up, and then the coach runs onto the field, and all the players, they stand back on the sidelines, Cheering. He receives the kick. And guess what happens? There's 11 opposing tacklers that just do me in like crazy. That would be ridiculous, correct? Okay. If we ever saw that happen, we'd be like, what are you thinking? (laughs) What are you doing? You know, one big fat old coach (laughs) against 11 (laughs) athletes in their prime. How does that work out? So as foolish as that sound, that happens when a church picks up the idea that the pastors are the paid professionals. They're the ones that do the work of the ministry. What I love about God's Word, and don't you guys it clears a whole lot of things up for us in life. And this is one of the things the Word of God speaks into very clearly for you and I. You see, the gospel, the Christian life, is to be more than a belief, but it's actually a lifestyle. So Christian living is a goal-oriented, and it's to be dynamic. Would you guys agree? So to be dynamic, okay? Not static. Dynamic is active. It's always changing. It's on the move right static is not moving or changing it's a fixed position and i feel that in the church today again how many churches are there there's one church okay in the one church i feel like it's easy to get stuck in the rut sometimes this is just the way we've always done things and you're like why isn't anything changing why aren't people coming to faith in christ isn't that our job as the church To go, (laughs) to proclaim the gospel, tell people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Isn't that what we've been called to do? Absolutely. So, back to our football analogy for a second. Some of you guys, (laughs) Pastor Charlie was like, hey, do you need help with your tie? I knew I wasn't going to keep it on that long. Um, But getting back to our football analogy, say the team breaks out in a huddle. You guys know what a huddle is? All right. How many of you guys have been in a huddle before? Pretty fun, right? I used to play some football. I got to be the quarterback. And it'd be fun when people would come up to me like, hey, I can get open. I can get open. Throw me the ball. Throw me the ball. You know? Um, and then i change a call, throw them the ball, and we get a bunch of yards, and then I'd get benched for changing the call. But <laughs> <laughs> there's some application there, but we won't talk about it. So back to this football analogy this morning, say the team breaks out in this huddle, but instead of lining up against that opposing squad, they break into little groups of two or three arguing with each other. And soon they start shoving and two of them actually get into a fight. What's wrong now? We ask one of them as they walk off the field in disgust. That bunch of malcontents can't agree on nothing, he says. And those two over there, they're arguing over the color of the uniforms. And a couple of the others are quarreling over the right way to kneel while they're in the huddle. And those two guys over there, they're arguing uh, because one believes that uh, that it. Uh, that or he believes in what we call personal football and the other believes in a uh, social football. And they can't agree whether the individual or the team is more important. And a couple are over there fighting over whether women should be allowed to play. And I'm quitting because I can pass a lot better than that other guy and they won't let me be the quarterback. So. Let's take a read here in Ephesians chapter 4 together. Look at verse 1. Either for a prisoner of the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, I beseech you, I am begging you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with all long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. But as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So, did you guys catch the seven things that unite us here? One body. Do you understand that? I asked before, how many churches are there? There's one. Okay? There's one bride of Christ. That is the church. I love it. That's why I love fellowshipping, going to festivals, visiting other churches. We are the body of Christ. We are one in Christ. So all believers are a part of that body, which Christ is the head. Also, we read of one spirit. What spirit's that? Speaking of the Holy Spirit, right? You are born again of what? The Spirit of God, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know this, that you are the temple of the living God? It's not speaking about you individually. Read the context of that verse. The church is the temple of the living God. So he is the same power and person at work in all believers. We also have one hope, don't we? we have that hope of eternal life that Jesus promised. So all believers have the same future and we pursue the same goal. One Lord, he's a triune God, just as the spokes of a wheel are held together and arranged around a common hub, so all Christians come around the same Lord. We have one faith, don't we? True Christian faith the common commitment believers have in one Lord. One baptism, we're told here, so the immersion into the body of Christ that single, or signals the beginning of the Christian life, and also one God and Father of all, the Heavenly Father. And guys, that is the central item and the foundation piece upon which all basis for unity exists. It's upon Him. You guys know I get together with other pastors on a regular basis. I'm doing that on this Tuesday. Okay, I'm going to meet with 20 to 30 other pastors from the valley. Do we agree doctrinally on everything? No. What we do agree on is there's one way to heaven. Okay, There is one faith. And we want people to come to know Jesus. Okay, And we find unity in that. Also, let's talk about the unifier himself. Look at verse 7. This is the unifier. It says, But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, or captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, And what does it mean but that he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he himself, okay, so God gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for what? This is key. "...for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So the work of Christ brings all these together. Do you guys understand that? It is his working. So we move from unity of the body to diversity within the body. So the gifts to believers, we see this in verse 7 through 11 laid out for us. So, though united, we are not uniform. Can I say that again? Though united in Christ, right? We are not uniform. We all look a little different, don't we? Um, Yeah, I won't say that. Um, The one God has given us many different spiritual gifts. Okay, many different giftings. So complementing gifts that work together for what purpose? To build up the church. That's what it's about. Verses 8 to 10, he quotes Psalm 68, verse 18, to show that Christ has ascended as conqueror of sin, death, and from his wealth, he has given gifts to people. So what are these gifts? What, were, what are they? Well, verse 11 lays them out. Apostleship. Okay, apostleship. It's one who is uh, sent one, a delegate, okay, a messenger, the originals, original people who witnessed Christ's resurrection. We have the prophets; their words especially important before the New Testament writings became available. They foretold, foretold. They convicted and encouraged. We have evangelists. Not like D.L. Moody once said, "Fishermen straightening pictures on walls of a burning house." What's the point in that, right? <laughs> We need to be about saving souls. Amen? Because if we're not out telling the good news, who's going to? Right? So these are evangelists. They proclaim the gospel outside the church or to new regions. Today we call them missionaries a lot of times, right? So we also have pastors and teachers. Pastor equals a shepherd. There's always that picture of shepherding, caring for the sheep. The image depicts a shepherd with his flock being a spiritual leader to those committed to his charge. And then a teacher instructs others in the truth. So goals for the believer. Okay, I love verses 12 through 16. I think this is essential for us as a church. We need to grab a hold of this, believe it, and do it. How many of you guys are familiar with Mark Twain? Yeah, pretty, pretty good writer, right? said this once the church is a place where nice respectable person stands in front of other nice respectable people and urges them to be nicer and more respectable that's all the church is we're leading people down the wrong path and we see a lot of that happening in the church shame on us what are the goals of the church then well i'm glad you guys asked There's six things that he lays out. The the church's goals is that they'd be equipped, right? Did you guys read that? We'd be equipped, that we'd be united. Okay, this is God's word. United, that we'd have knowledge, that we'd be mature, that we'd be measured, and that we would be settled. So verse 12, that they would be equipped. So equipping, this is actually a medical technical term that is used here in the Greek. It's the setting of a bone, okay, or the mending of nets. Very, you know, precise has to be done correctly. I want to explain to you guys some old version, uh, some of the old version translations that we had had a common between saints and four in verse twelve here. The error is a small one in grammar, but a great one in practical consequences. For it now appears that the clergy's main task is not to do the work of the church, but to what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Big difference, isn't it? So back to our football analogy for a second. Listen to God's game plan. Christ has given the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare God's people for the work of the Of service lay people are not there simply to pay pastors and evangelists to do the Lord's work rather pastors and evangelists and teachers are to equip the so-called lay people to be ministers so the pattern is that the minister helps the layman to evangelize he sees his main task as that of training a Christian mechanic how to witness in the garage, showing the Christian student how to have a relevant testimony in the classroom, inspiring a Christian housewife to be a godly influence in her neighborhood, helping the Christian parents train their children in the ways of the Lord. So equipping is the responsibility of the teacher. That's why we take the word of God in teaching and preaching so seriously here at Freedom Fellowship. Why? Because the church does what? Equips the saints. And this is how it is done. It's not going to be through jokes. It's not going to be through stories. It's going to be through teaching his word. So equipping also occurs best when the teacher assumes a biblical role. Equipping should impact both character and conduct. Equipping should focus more intensely on the most committed Equipping requires knowledge, skill, a long-term commitment. Equipping requires knowledge, skill. Oh, sorry, long-term commitment. I said that. Equipping also is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is equipping others who will equip others. Isn't that what Paul told young Timothy? (laughs) Trust to other men who will also be able to go out and to teach others. We need to be able to do that, to equip you guys that you can go out and equip others. Just think, would a revival break out if we'd actually take discipleship seriously? Absolutely. But instead, we have a lot of big programs, and this is how we're going to win people to Jesus Christ. It hasn't been working too hot. Why don't we just do it God's way? Okay. Um, so, that they be unified in the faith. That's what verse 13 tells us. Okay, that's the heart of God. So unity grows out of a common faith which believers share that they have knowledge of the Son of God. And it's the Son who knows the Father's character and brings his presence as no one else can. So that what? We may be a perfect man, be mature, right? is that what verse 13 says? That we would grow up. I know a lot of immature believers. Maybe it's because I do the chaplaincy for the jail. <laughs> I meet with people that, hey, I'm a Christian. What are you doing here then, know? <laughs> Well, I haven't been walking with the Lord. I haven't been doing what He's asked. You know, well, where's the maturity? When are we gonna grow up? Okay, to be honest with ourselves, there's some of you that would say, "Yeah, I haven't grown a whole lot. I'm not maturing in Christ. I'm in the same place I was when I first got saved." Or maybe I've learned a little bit, but I haven't really grown in the last year or two. What's going on? I feel like if we ever plateau, we're actually backsliding. Okay, hasn't God promised? to complete a work in us? Yeah. That means we should always be growing, always be maturing in Him. So the mature man, that which has reached a set goal. So our goal is what? Christ-likeness. Isn't that wonderful? I love being around people who are like Jesus. I love it. Okay, that's our goal, Christ-likeness, and to reflect Him more fully in our lives. People should see Him more and more. Now, As one said, quit threatening to be a Christian. I think that's very well put. And I think that's what the world is doing is they look at a lot of us. You say you're a Christian, you're going to do these things. Quit threatening, (laughs) you know? If you're going to do it, just do it, right? Maturity is contrasted with instability, which verse 14 talks about being tossed by waves and when the wind blows how many people do we see that happening? You know, That's why I like to stick to the Word. There's so many things that have come through. The, I'm, a, I'm a young man still, somewhat young. But just in my short lifetime, it's amazing being in ministry, how many different winds of doctrine. Christians are on this kick. They're doing this. They're doing that. Let's just stick to the Word. There's safety in that. That way we're not being tossed all over the place on this kick and on that kick. No, let's take the whole counsel of God. Let's just stick with Jesus doing his word, following him, being the church. Just be the church. What does that look like? Well, we're talking about that this morning. (laughs) You know, God laid it out for us pretty clearly here why we're here. So that we may be measured, the last part of verse 13. So this idea of measure suggests that the gift is individually tailored to each Christian. The complete person is one who measures up To the pattern and the personhood displayed in Jesus, that they be settled, verse 14. And verse 15 talks about the spiritual birth must be led to spiritual growth as we become more like Jesus Christ. We should be growing. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 together. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll look at verse 2 and 3. Because I believe Peter hit it on the head. God knows what he did, <laughs> uh, what he's speaking here, what's going to help us grow to mature. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. It says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, and now that you have been, or you've tasted that the Lord's good. So how does a person grow? By the, the Word of God, right? Doesn't Romans ten seventeen tell us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God? That's why we take the Word of God seriously. Okay. Now, Sunday morning, when you come, Hey, I've spent time praying and preparing and studying so you guys can what? Be equipped. But if this is all you're getting, Saint, throughout the week, shame on you. You need to repent. You need to do 2 Timothy 2.15 study to show yourselves approved to God. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. You need to do that. Mom and dad, you are called in Deuteronomy 6.6 6 to train your children up in the ways of the Lord. If you're not doing it yourself, how are you going to be able to teach them? Daily conversations of the Lord should be a part of our lives. We should be talking and teaching our kids about the truth of the gospel, about the truth of who God is. So, if we're maturing in Christ, we'll show it by being able to speak the truth then in love. And that's one thing I see a lot today in the church. They love God deeply, but they're ashamed of Him when it comes to His Word. We don't know how to defend the faith, we don't know how to speak the truth in love to someone who is walking contrary to God in rebellion to God. Why? Because we don't know the Word. We need to know it. You guys are going to get those questions if you're really maturing in Christ and growing in Him. People are going to come to you and ask you the hard questions. How can this God of love allow so much suffering in the world? Why does God mandate slavery? What about marijuana? States are legalizing that. What does God have to say about us smoking dope? These are the type of questions people ask. And these are the questions the Bible actually does address. But do you, have you matured in the word enough that you could actually speak the truth to somebody and do it in love? That's when we're mature. And that's where God wants us to be. So, Satan is a liar. Do you guys know that? Yeah, he's good at it, he's a murderer. And he has a difficult time being successful when believers practice truth and love. If we're doing that, yeah, he's, <laughs> what can he do? Can you stand against truth? Can you stand against love? No way. So, tell me what works well with missing parts. Things just don't work. We need all these parts. Imagine a car engine missing a part. You know, picture a string of pearls with some messing. It just doesn't work, right? So I want to talk to you guys in closing about the clergy conspiracy. The abnition of clergyism. Um, it's when the minister says, you leave the spiritual matters ministry to me. That's my job. And the congregation says, yes, that's right, and so we will. Or the congregation may say to the minister, we hired you to do the spiritual ministry. Get on with it. And the minister says uh, what he never should consent to. I accept that, and so I will. You see, we must challenge that conspiracy and decline to be a part of it. You see, we must insist on the principle of every member ministry. You guys have heard me ask this before, many times. How many of you guys are in full-time ministry? Right? (laughs) We all are, guys. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what we are called to. We are ministers of the gospel, whether you like it or not. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches us. You are salt and white. So, one of our core values here at uh, Freedom Fellowship is participation. Encouraging all believers to discover and to use their unique Spirit-given gifts. Okay? Uh, this morning in our closed uh, Freedom Fellowship group, I posted a study we did just on that. On servanthood, on participation. I encourage you guys sometime this week, go back. Listen to that. Be encouraged in what the Word says. Be seeking God. What is my part in the body? Okay, what is God calling me to do? So that is how we should be, really should be in every church. This is Bible truth. This is reality. Now, back to our football analogy. It's probably the only time you'll see me wear a Randall Cobb jersey at church. Unless I use a football analogy again in the future. (laughs) But let's let's uh, let's think of it this way: the team realizes they have they've all got to play, so they're on the field in a huddle. They huddle and huddle and huddle. The referee calls a penalty for delaying the game and moves them or moves the ball back five yards. Still, the team huddles and huddles and huddles. The referee calls penalty after penalty until finally the ball is moved all the way back to their own goal line. Hey, coach! Shouts the quarterback to the sidelines. This is the greatest huddle I've ever been in. What a group of guys! We have the best fellowship! And some of these guys are amazing students of the playbook. Some have memorized over a hundred plays and can analyze them precisely. We learn so much when we're in the huddle. But why don't you get up on the line and play, says the coach. Why should we? What we want are bigger and better huddles. Besides, we might get hurt. No one ever gets hurt In a huddle. Can I caution you guys regarding holy huddles? (laughs) I'm okay if we term that and use it, but there's a purpose for a huddle, right? I kind of feel like a Sunday morning is a holy huddle. It's a chance for us to do what? To retreat in part, right? We're going to come together. We're going to worship our God together. And we're going to get recommissioned to go back out. How is that happening? Because we're going to study his word. We're going to get equipped. We're going to get built up. We're going to provoke one another onto good works. Why? So we can go back out. We read in the book of Acts, chapter 2, they go from house to house daily, didn't they? Every day, they got together for fellowship. And they needed it. Why? Because they got to go out. But you can't stay in the huddle. That's the point, right? If all we did was just huddle and never went out, what's the point? There's no point in that. Okay, we need to go. We've got to get a game plan. What are we going to do? And we get that from the Word of God. So Christians should be on the front lines and not on the sidelines. Amen? Yeah, Father, while well, we thank you for these truths, just pray that you would deepen them, show us how we might get in the game. Amen?